everybody. Welcome to The Way, R122 Ministry Live. This is Pastor Chad, and today is Sunday, October 31st, 2021. It is what is known as Reformation Day when we celebrate uh, the Protestant Reformation that brought us out of the darkness and the apostasy and heresy that was had consumed the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, back in the 1500s, and we protested that and sought to get back to following God's word, living according to God's word, to understanding the truth of salvation by grace, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. So praise the Lord that we get to celebrate this day. October 31st, 2021, 500 years after the original beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So the title of the message today is No Different Gospel, and it's based on Galatians 1, 1 through 9. And um, it just, I guess the Lord put it on my heart this week. I was reading the Bible, and I had just finished another book, and I was just going through the New Testament, figuring out uh, which book I wanted to start reading again, and came across Galatians. And as I began reading the book, uh, I just became excited about it, and I became expired, inspired over it. And I decided, you know what, it's been quite a while, a couple years since I just preached through a book. And um, I want to preach through the book of Galatians. And then it dawned on me that this Sunday was Reformation Sunday. And I thought, wow, what better time to begin preaching through a book like Galatians, which is just such a beautiful proclamation of the doctrines of grace and the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. What better day than Reformation Sunday to begin preaching? through that book. So that's what I decided to do. So today we begin going through the book of Galatians, and we're going to start in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And it'll probably take six months to a year to go through the whole book as topics and current events um, arise that I would like to address. I'll do so. So I'm sure I won't be preaching through this every single Sunday, but I'm going to try to be as diligent as possible um, in working through this book. But like I said, with what's going on in the world today, there are certain things that need to be addressed and that I like to speak on. So I will uh, occasionally address those things as we go forward. But today, again, no different gospel, Galatians 1, 1 through 9. So let's pray and we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again that we're able to gather here each Sunday and to uh, fellowship, even at a distance and even from different points on the globe. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless this message, that your word would go forth powerfully and that you would touch the hearts and the minds and the spirits of each person that hear this message and that you would bless them with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of you. And Lord, we just uh, praise your name. We thank you for this opportunity, and may your spirit go forth powerfully today in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, no different gospel, Galatians, Galatians 1, 1 through 9. And as I mentioned, today is Reformation Sunday. It's a celebration of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, uh, which started on in uh, uh, 
1517. Uh, the world knows this day as Halloween, All Hallows Eve, uh, which makes sense. The world is dark. Uh, Christianity is light. The Lord is light and life. So it's fitting that on a day that celebrates darkness, we celebrate life and the Protestant Reformation. If you're not familiar with the Protestant Reformation, what I'm going to do is I came across an article by Stephen Nichols over at Ligonier.org, uh, just a brief explanation of what Reformation Day is. And he writes, a single event on a single day changed the world. It was October 31st, 1517. Brother Martin, he's referring to uh, Martin Luther. Brother Martin, a monk and a scholar, had struggled for years with his church, the church in Rome. He had been greatly disturbed by an unprecedented indulgence sale. The story has all the makings of a Hollywood blockbuster. Let's meet the cast. Now, when he was referring to indulgences, he's talking about the Roman Catholic practice of telling people that if you donate to the church, you give gifts to, uh, to the church, to the papacy, that that will enable you to buy time out of purgatory. They believe that when a person dies in this life, they go to purgatory where you atone uh, for your sins. And I guess you're gradually perfected so that you're uh, considered righteous enough to enter heaven. And through purchasing indulgences, you can give yourself a shorter time that you have to spend in purgatory and you can purchase indulgences for your family, for friends. Uh, but it, I'm not sure. I don't think it still goes on in the Roman Catholic church. I wouldn't be surprised, but it was completely out of control in the 1500s. So again, the last sentence from that first paragraph was the story has all the makings of a Hollywood blockbuster. Let's meet the cast. First, there is the young bishop, too young by church laws, Albert of Mons. Not only was he bishop over two bishoprics, he desired an additional archbishopric over Mons. Over Mons. This, too, was against church laws. So Albert appealed to the pope in Rome, Leo X. From the Demici family, Leo X greedily allowed his tastes to exceed his financial resources. Enter the artists and sculptors, Raphael and Michelangelo. When Albert of Mons appealed for a papal, dis papal dispensation, Leo X was ready to deal. Albert, with the papal blessing, would sell indulgences for past, present, and future sins. All of this sickened the monk, Martin Luther. Can we buy our way into heaven? Luther had to speak. And this is a very brief synopsis of the things that really concerned Luther. He had been struggling with the Roman Catholic Church for years, and he went through really a lot of spiritual torture, uh, knowing that there was something very wrong with his own belief system that had sprung from the Roman Catholic heresies. But why October 31st? November 1st held a special place in the church calendar as All Saints Day. On November 1st, 1517, a massive exhibit of newly acquired relics would be on display at Wittenberg, Luther's home city. Pilgrims would come from all over, genuflect before the relics, and take hundreds, if not thousands, of years off time in purgatory. Luther's soul grew even more vexed. None of this seemed right. Martin Luther, a scholar, took quill in hand, dipped it in his inkwell, and pinned his 95 thesis on October 31st. 
1517. These were intended to spark a debate to stir some soul-searching among his fellow brothers in the church. The 95 Thesis sparked more than a debate. The 95 Thesis also revealed the church was far beyond rehabilitation. It needed a reformation. The church and the world would never be the same. One of Luther, Luther's 95 Thesis simply declares, the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That alone is the meaning of Reformation Day. The church had lost sight of the gospel because it had long ago papered over the pages of God's word with layer upon layer of tradition. Mere tradition often brings about systems of works, of earning your way back to God. It was true of the Pharisees, and it was true of medieval Roman Catholicism. Didn't Christ himself say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Reformation Day celebrates the joyful beauty of the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is Reformation Day? It is the day the light of the gospel broke forth out of darkness. It was the day that began the Protestant Reformation. It was a day that led to Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many other reformers helping the church find its way back to God's word as the only supreme authority for faith and life and leading the church back to the glorious doctrines of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It kindled the fires of missionary endeavors. It led to hymn writing and congregational singing, and it led to the centrality of the sermon and preaching for the people of God. It is the celebration of a theological, ecclesiastical, and cultural transformation. So we celebrate Reformation Day. This day reminds us to be thankful for our past and to the monk-turned-reformer. What's more, this day reminds us of our duty, our obligation, to keep the light of the gospel at the center of all we do. And as we go through the book of Galatians, you will see why that light of the gospel is so vitally important. Luther, him, Luther himself referred to Galatians as my epistle. He loved the epistle to the Galatians. And Galatians was very influential in the shaping of the Protestant Reformation. Nelson's Bible Dictionary states that the letter to the Galatians was written in a spirit of inspired agitation. And you'll see that, especially in this first message from the book of Galatians today, is that Paul truly wrote this in a spirit of inspired agitation. He was very concerned, angry, agitated, and frustrated at what was taking place within the church at Galatia that he had helped plant and that he had, he had evangelized. After evangelizing the churches in Galatia, Paul had received news that they were falling away from the truth of the gospel that he had taught them. Apostates were teaching the Galatians that the gospel of Paul had that the gospel Paul had preached to them was not enough for salvation. They were teaching that faith in Christ was not enough, that a person must also be circumcised, keep the Sabbath and other Jewish holy days. including the Jewish ceremonial law. In Galatians, Paul pulls, what you're going to see as we go through the book of Galatians is that Paul pulls no punches in confronting the church and calling out the false teachers and exposing their false teachings. In this epistle, Paul proclaims powerfully the doctrine of justification by grace alone, 
through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is something I really like about the book of Galatians. We live in a time, and I've reiterated this point over and over constantly for the last 10 years, the modern church is an absolute mess. And when you really study Christian doctrine, you study church history, you study the message of the gospel, and then you look at what the modern church is involved in, and it's horrifying. And like I've said, it, the common belief among those that are that are really striving to proclaim the message of the gospel is that 90% of the modern church is not saved, has no understanding of the gospel, and those churches are completely void of the gospel. And that's why it's important for us to see how in this epistle, Paul truly pulls no punches in confronting the church and calling out the false teachers and exposing their false teachings. One of the reasons that the church has gotten into such a mess like it's in currently is because we have been concerned for so long about not stepping on toes, concern about people's feelings over concern about the uncompromised truth of the gospel. And you'll see that Paul didn't play that way. He was concerned with the gospel foremost and above everything else. The book of Galatians provides us a picture of Paul's passionate zeal for the gospel and his intolerance for any corruptions of its message. And you'll see that as we go through this message today. So to begin, let's start with reading through Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open, it, open them to the book of Galatians. We're going to start in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so wickedly, so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So pretty harsh words from Paul right from the get-go when he launches in to this letter to the Galatians. So let's look at verse 1 here. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Notice he says, not from men, nor through man. What he's telling us there, and again, this is such an important lesson for the times in which we live and the modern church, is to understand that ordination is from God. It is not from schools. It is not from organizations. It is not from institutions or denominations. Apostles, pastors, preachers, evangelists, since the beginning of the church, have been ordained by God and not uh, through man, from men, or by men. Now, an example I want to give you of a man who so well understood that he was ordained by God, and he was—he's he, my favorite 
pastor down through church history, my favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And I want you to look at how he viewed seeking the approval of men in order to enter the pulpit. I'm reading from his biography, uh, pages 36 and 38 from the version I have. And it says, there went into that village a lad, referring to Spurgeon, who had no great scholarship, but who was earnest in seeking the souls of men. He began to preach there, and it pleased God to turn the whole place upside down. And what that portion of his biography is talking about is the profound effect that the Lord had in this village where Spurgeon went to preach that was full of drunkards and prostitution and evil and sin. And the Lord did such a mighty work through Spurgeon's preaching that that, that village was transformed. A, a new birth took place in that village through Spurgeon's preaching. And this was when he was in his teens. He was a powerful preacher from day one. Later on, it says, John Spurgeon, wanting the best for his son, made plans to put him into Stepney College, the ba Baptist Ministerial Training School. So his father wanted to send him to this college in order so Spurgeon, so Charles Spurgeon, could obtain uh, credentials that would be respected basically in a worldly context. He wanted him to seek the approval of men by going to this Baptist ministerial training school. And I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, and then I'll get to the rest of the quote. I didn't want to read too much from the book. Uh, but basically, he shows up for the appointment. Something happens, and he's not able to meet with the person he's supposed to meet with, with which, which he finds out later was something that the Lord had worked out. And then as he's walking <clears throat> after this appointment, it says, as he thought of the strange event of the afternoon, there came an overwhelming impression on his mind, almost as though he actually heard a voice that said very distinctly, seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. He immediately rejoiced in this counsel, and then and there he determined not to enter the college. He knew God had already made him a minister, and he proposed to continue the manner of life that had been his for the past two years. The decision allowed no room for earthly ambition. It marked another step forward in the mortification of self and in the growth of his soul's devotion to the Lord. Charles knew that the Lord had blessed him with a hunger and a passion for the word of God and a burning desire for salvation in Jesus Christ and a, and, a, and a zeal and a fervency to proclaim the gospel message to everyone he could to save souls. And he knew that he needed nothing beyond that. This is such a radically important thing for the modern church to understand. The fact of the matter is, is that Spurgeon would not be hired by the majority of churches today. If he applied to any of these churches and he could not put letters after his name, PhD, Masters of Divinity, whatever it is, they probably wouldn't even give him an interview. Spurgeon would be rejected by the majority of churches today because he does not have the credentials that they require in order to hire him to preach and to be a pastor. That's just the way that the modern church is. It's very, very sad. So we've got to get back to praying over ministry, seeking God's guidance in it, and understanding that God ordinates his chosen servants, not men. 
Now, Paul says that he is an apostle. Apostle means messenger. Paul uses the term in Galatians mostly to denote those uniquely sent by the risen Christ, bearing his authority, including the original apostles at Jerusalem and Paul himself. There is no need for or proper application of the title in a modern context. The reason I bring this up is it's very common now, especially on social media, to see people calling themselves apostles. Why? What is wrong with simply identifying ourselves as Christians? Or if you've been called into the pastorate as a pastor or a preacher, there were 12 apostles. We do not need modern apostles, and there are no such thing as modern apostles. Paul was an apostle because the Lord visited him on the road to Damascus and added him to the original apostles that had walked with him. So again, another thing that we have to pay close attention to in the modern church. Now, let's look at verses uh, 2 and 3. So verse 1 said, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace from the Greek means charis, an undeserved act of kindness. Paul uses this word more than any other New Testament writer. All that God has given us in Christ, none of which we have earned or can repay. So the Lord gives us this amazing blessing. And we've got to understand, it's so under, important to understand the definition of the word grace, an undeserved act of kindness. And the reason it's so important to understand that is that word grace is so twisted by so many false teachings. And the one that comes to mind, as so often does, is Mormonism. If you use the word grace with a Mormon, they, they have a completely different, de different definition of it than we do. See, the true teaching of the, the term grace in Christian doctrine is the fact that we are in rebellion against God. We have sinned against him. We have totally rejected him. And he still gives us mercy and love and kindness, and he saves us through the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. If you have to do anything to add to grace, anything to earn your salvation, anything at all, it's not grace because you are trying to say that there is something you can do to add to it. Grace is a 100% gift that is undeserved and unearned and that we have no merit for. He uses the word peace, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that Paul's referring to is the relationship we have with God through Christ's death and resurrection. The relationship we have with God through Christ's death and resurrection. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about the fact that we are engaged in a ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled to God, and therefore we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, Christ is the only way. There is no 
other way of salvation, no other way to be reconciled to the Father. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, I can't reiterate the point enough that there is one way out of condemnation. It is through the atoning sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Christianity is uncompromising, intolerant, and unaccepting of anything contrary to that truth. Believers no longer belong to this age, but we have been brought by Christ into the age to come. When he says, all who, forgave, who, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We exist in the coming age Currently, we have some of it now, and we will be blessed with it completely in the age to come in Jesus Christ. So believers no longer belong to this age, but have been brought by Christ into the age to come. Ephesians 1.21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1.21 says, oh, actually, I repeated the verse. I'm sorry. Just that one verse there. Now, let's look at Galatians 1.6. Now, this is where it gets interesting because Paul gives us this greeting, and I'm going to reiterate what he says. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now notice this next verse. He immediately dives into the thing that has made him angry, the thing that he is concerned about, and the thing that is causing him what is, is titled, uh, what was called earlier, inspired agitation. In verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul immediately addresses the issue that is troubling him. He says, him who called you. When he says that, he's not referring to himself. He's, returning, he's referring to God. So he's telling the Galatians that he is astonished that they are so quickly deserting God who called them into salvation in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 28 through 30, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We come to Christ and we are saved by the will of God. And then he says, you're turning, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Folks, the way is narrow and the truth of the gospel does not 
compromise. Why is the modern church such a mess? Why are there so many false teachings? Because there are so many different gospels. I'll give you an example. Again, the Book of Mormon, right on the cover, it says another testament of Jesus Christ. Basically, it's another gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a different gospel. In the modern church, we have humanism, a gospel twisted to be comfortable and appetizing and palatable to those of the humanistic mindset that man is in control of his own destiny. Universalism, the teaching that Christ died on the cross for the sins of every human being that ever existed, and he just puts that offer out there, and whoever's going to take it is going to take it. That is not taught in Scripture, but that is a gospel twisting that has been infecting the church since the beginning. Syncretism, which is very popular nowadays, the teaching that there are many ways to God, and Christianity is just one of those ways. All the all the basic religions can be synchronized into one belief system, and that's going to be coming. That's going to be coming to the front more and more very soon as more of these world religions seek to bring in what's going to be just a one world religion. And they'll have that one world religion controlled by the dark forces of Satan. And outside of that, in the light, you'll have the true church, the body of Christ. But I will give this warning. You twist and you corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ to your own peril. Galatians 1.7 says, not that there is another one. So Paul says, uh, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, not that there is another one. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is no gray area in Christianity. It's black and white. And that is a blessing for us because it is so easy for us to identify false teachings, to, die, to identify anything contrary to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, because we have it laid out in God's word in Scripture. And then in verses 8 and 9, notice how harsh Paul is here. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What would Paul say to someone like Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism? He would say, he is accursed. He would curse him. He would not tolerate what he teaches. The same thing with, with, with what, what is taught in Roman Catholicism, Jehovah's Witness. Anything contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we've got to stop worrying about who we're going to offend who we're going to upset, and sacrificing the truth of the gospel because of that. Simply proclaim the message. I'm not saying to go out and trying to pick fights with people. 
we want to try to save everyone we can through the message of the gospel, but do not tolerate a message that's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have nothing to do with it and call it out and expose it for what it is. We are told to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead to expose them. As Christian believers, we cherish and, and we treasure the message of the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. A false gospel, contrary to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a message that points to Christ's suffering and death on the cross and says, that is not enough. You must add to Christ's work and suffering because it is not enough to save you. You must obtain at least some measure of your own righteousness because Christ is not enough. Paul understood the severity of such a message and didn't hesitate to curse twice any messenger who brings such a destructive message. I'll close with Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. So again, that's our first message as we begin this journey into the book of Galatians. And again, I think it's just awesome that I was able to preach that on Reformation Sunday, October 31st. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this message today. Lord, I ask that you would bless each person that hears this message with a greater understanding of the importance of uh, having a sense of, discern of discernment that's grounded in your word, that abides in your word, that is full of the message of the gospel, and that we would not tolerate any corruptions of the gospel, that we would strive for truth. And through that truth, you would bless us with joy and peace and wisdom and knowledge and, and understanding of you and your ways. And Lord, now, I don't know if more if it's the proper thing to say more than any time in history, but now it is so important that we get back to the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we cast out anything contrary to it, that we clean out the leaven that is infecting so much of the modern church, and that we speak, that we seek to have a new reformation when we reform and get back to what the true faith in Jesus Christ is. And we just thank you and praise you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thank you for watching today, folks, for joining us. If you get a chance, please visit elephantwalk.net, our sponsor uh, business that helps us support the ministry and helps us support artisans and the people uh, that we have become close to in Kenya. Uh, if you visit elephantwalk.net and up on checkout, just type in the way, no spaces between the words, all lowercase, you, re you receive 10% off. You can find us on the web at the way, the letter r122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just type the way radio in the search field. You can find us on Rumble at the way r122. Um, I'm not really publishing to YouTube anymore. I think I'm still blocked on there. And 
again, please consider donating to the ministry. I really want to begin planning the next trip to Kenya uh, early next year. Uh, there is much work to be done in helping Pastor Patrick with his schools and with his church there. And we also want to engage in more water projects where we can purchase large 10,000 liter water tanks that help supply uh, water to entire neighborhoods and to entire churches. So if you want to be a part of that, please consider donating at the way, the letter R122.org. Okay, thanks again. We will be back here next week, same time, same place. God bless.